Welcome to the Earth Keepers podcast. This podcast is for people who seek new and better ways to love and care for the Earth. It's a podcast for anyone who is deeply concerned about the harm being done to the environment on a local and global level. It's a podcast that builds community and connection between people of like heart and mind, people who believe that Earth care should be integrated into every aspect of life, and for many in the Earth Keepers community, that includes our spiritual practices. In this episode, we'll talk with Courtney Christensen, founder of Sparks and Matches, an organization committed to inspiring women to be changemakers in the realms of social and environmental justice. Courtney helps us to see that all of us have countless opportunities in our everyday lives to make choices that impact the health of the planet. If women understood these things, if they understood how they were impacting the lives of women and children and families around the world, that they would choose to make better choices. And that has absolutely been true in my experience. I think as soon as women kind of get this and see their change-making power in their families, in their local communities, in their wider communities, and in our global community, they start to make different choices immediately. And it's been so encouraging to see. Welcome, friends, to the Earth Keepers podcast. Welcome, Courtney. Maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself, what you do, and where you are right now. I run an organization called Sparks and Matches that exists to help women in particular, but everyone also, to make real change in both their little personal sphere and the greater world around them. And I do that by providing as many super practical resources as I can for everyday change making. My family and I live in Central Oregon, in Bend, typically. But at the moment, we're actually down in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico, about an hour and a half north of Cabo San Lucas, near a town called Todos Santos. And we've been here for 10 weeks so far. And we go back to the States in another two. And when you think about your work with Sparks and Matches, how does it involve earth care? Sparks and Matches in general is about pushing the world towards justice and the everyday changes that we can make to do that. And that's, I mean, truly impossible without factoring in environmental justice. It has to be a part of it because there is no justice, in my opinion, really in any kind without environmental justice. It is just too intersectional and integral to every social system that we have. And every natural system is all in there and and we can't untangle them from one another. And so environmental justice is a huge part of what we do. Helping people make environmental improvements in the world around them is actually a really easy way to get them involved in justice work because there are simple and really, really easy ways to step into those things and start making change. And with environmental issues, small changes can have a big effect over time. And people start to see that pretty readily, where some other issues of justice are harder to put your hands on, maybe is a, is a good way to say that. And environmental issues are right in front of us. They're all around us. Everyone sees them. Everyone is impacted by them. 
one of the things that we talk a lot about in Sparks and Matches and in, in a lot of my writing is that women in particular, we are the world's primary consumer. We buy a lot of things. We do the Costco runs. We do the grocery runs. We buy clothing for our kids. We we do all of these things, generally speaking. Obviously, there are exceptions, but generally speaking. And white women like myself, in particular, spend so much money in the United States that it gives us a lot of power over social systems and over environmental systems and over economic systems because we we vote with our dollar and our consumer power to demand change is difficult to overstate. And so helping women take steps to, to make those changes and demand further change is a great way to get people involved in justice. So I know enough about your work and appreciate this particular thing about your work. You you absolutely are are looking at ways to leverage the capacity for influence that women, especially in the global north, have. And yet you also pay a lot of attention to the situations of, of women elsewhere in the global south, for example. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that relationship. Obviously, you know, the situation of, of someone in Guatemala would be very different, right, from an American woman's life. And, and yet you talk about issues of power and influence and even collaborative efforts. Can you talk more about that? I'm a big believer that in the interconnectivity of all people and indeed all creation, and that we cannot insulate ourselves from the issues that affect other people. Because what we do here or what we do in, in the U.S. has a massive effect on people and planet elsewhere, far away from us. And some of these things can be hard to wrap our, our minds around. And I, I'm also a big believer in, in specifics and talking about actual small things. So I think maybe a good example of this that helps people understand and, and women like myself understand the impact that we have around the world and on women in the global South is like, so I choose to buy a bottle of shampoo for my family and I bring it home. We use it. We now have an empty shampoo bottle. I throw that in the recycling bin. It more than likely does not get recycled because it's plastic that ends up in a garbage heap, likely in the global South, in sub-Saharan Africa, in somewhere in Latin America, or in an incinerator in the Philippines, poisoning the air in Southeast Asia. And my choice there then affects the lives and the well-being of people far, far away from me, their air quality, their soil quality, their income in a lot of ways, and, and the way that they're able to take care of their family and build a life changes because of these thousands of seemingly small, insignificant choices that I make. Where on the flip side, then I could choose to buy a shampoo bar that's wrapped in paper, that's made by a small business. There's many to choose from. And I get to help women understand that that small choice is indicative of how this consumer power that they have lets them choose, do you want this world where we're poisoning the air in Southeast Asia, or do you want this world where we're building small businesses and, and supporting female entrepreneurs, whether it be in other countries or locally? 
we have all of these choices and we can choose. And once we start to understand our role in these systems and the impact that we're having, whether or not we understand it, right? Because you don't have to understand the impact you're making to have that impact. We can start to leverage that power on behalf of ourselves, yes, but on behalf of these other people and these other women in other places whose lives we are impacting. And it's been interesting to me because I, when I started doing this work, I had the hypothesis that if women understood these things, if they understood how they were impacting the lives of women and children and families around the world, that they would choose to make better choices. And that has absolutely been true in my experience. I think as soon as women kind of get this and see their change-making power in their families, in their local communities, in their wider communities, and in our global community, they start to make different choices immediately. And it's been so encouraging to see. So in a lot of ways, it sounds like education and awareness is at the heart of your work. Just in the story that you shared about the shampoo bottle, probably there are, are facts that people had never considered before. Most people assume that if they're recycling their plastic, it will be recycled. But you know otherwise, right? Or probably there's many people who've never heard of a shampoo bar as an option, right? So I think that it sounds like Education is clearly at the heart of your work. And it seems to me that part of of being responsible in terms of our, our global relationships to people does actually mean that we have to make ourselves uncomfortable with awareness. Because yes. it's easier to ignore that, right? Yes. It's, it's easier oh, to ignore the impact. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Like are women clamoring to learn more or do you find that there's even resistance and and discomfort as they lean into those, those new revelations about the impact of their consumption? I think that I haven't honestly had that much resistance to these messages, at least not on the environmental side. I get a lot more pushback on some of the social justice impacts that women have in U.S. society in particular that is very difficult for people to acknowledge and accept. But on the environmental side, I think that there's a general growing awareness that we are having a huge negative impact on our planet. And even amongst the people that I generally speak to who tend to be white and conservatively Christian, there is a growing awareness that these are facts. And I find that any resistance that people have to the idea that they're having a negative impact on the planet is generally outweighed by their desire to make a difference. Because truly people, and in particular women, in my experience, are searching for meaning and purpose and a way to make a difference. Like they want to make a difference. They just don't know how. So by giving them specifics of what they're doing right now and the small, really insignificant changes that they can make to then have an extraordinarily positive impact is freeing to them. 
as long as you give them specifics <laughs> of what they can do. Because if you leave them with, oh, yes, you're destroying the air in Southeast Asia, like that doesn't land well with them. <laughs> but if you're like, oh, this is happening. Oh, my gosh. But here's a solution. They're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And it's a really easy switch for them. And so I think you have to present the problem and the solution kind of hand in hand in the same sentence. And then that, that resistance isn't there. Yeah. You have to give them hope, right? Yeah, no one have. wants to be hopeless. No, we don't. I would imagine that for people who are more oriented as activists and advocates as you are, that you might sometimes have to really find a nuanced language to communicate the problems and our complicity in the problems because another non-motivator is guilt, right? I yes. mean, that's certain to shut people down. And so yeah. how do you do that? Yeah. Guilt is a very unproductive emotion just in general. Um, it does not spur us to action. That's actually taken me a really long time <laughs> to figure out how to talk about these things with nuance. And the way that I have come to do it, I've found that leading with their felt need to make a difference, to make a positive impact in the world around them, really helps women recognize then and acknowledge the ways that they could do better as a way of making an impact. And I've found that particularly for younger women, for millennials, for Gen Y, for Gen Z, for whom making an impact and having meaning in their everyday lives is extraordinarily important. It's a great way to open the door to that conversation to say, I know you want to make a difference. And in fact, did you know that you're already impacting the world in these huge ways? And you don't have to find a brand new way to make a difference. You can just make small tweaks. And it will make a huge difference and kind of offering it as a opportunity rather than coming in and saying, you're the problem. <laughs> Here's how to fix it. Because it's not that simple, right? It's not so simple as you're the problem. While we might be the problem in some ways, we also don't know that we're the problem most of the time. And we're also put in this situation because of a lot of complex social systems that also negatively impact us, right? Like we're manipulated into spending tons of money by their attacking our self-esteem and our sense of self-confidence and our worth and our body image and all of these things. They just tear that down to make us spend money on products that destroy the environment, that negatively affect people and planet and animals and everything around the world. So it's a complex system that puts us in an interesting situation of being both oppressor and oppressed. And by offering language that says you can make a difference, you are making a difference, here's how, without inviting shame or guilt, it's a really easy invitation for people to accept. So how actually does your work work? You have an online presence, obviously, but I'm wondering... How do you achieve these these goals of, of bringing this sort of understanding to women in particular? I do quite a bit of writing. I also have hosted six online groups in the last year that walks women through a workbook that I created that 
essentially helps them understand their place in these social systems and then figure out the very best way that they uniquely can make an impact based on the things they're passionate about and their current context and their specific skills and expertise and understanding. And it helps them cultivate their own change making exactly where they are in a way that's realistic, in a way that works for them. And most of the women who have gone through these groups are young moms and they are in a very busy phase of life. And they're honestly desperate to know that they're making a difference in the world. And part of these groups is just sitting with these women and validating their daily existence and their daily work and showing them the power in their everyday lives and in their everyday choices and watching them leave at the end of six weeks, feeling so empowered and understanding their own power as a change maker in their neighborhoods, in their home, in their communities, in the grocery store. And it turns every mundane little thing from a task to a mission. Mm -hmm. And just that it it provides meaning and it stills meaning into, into the things that they spend their, their lives doing. So that's been a huge part of my work as well as these groups and the workbook that i that I put out. I had a big plan last year to to host a bunch of events, which, you know, got tabled because of COVID, but maybe next year. I just love being with women and talking about how we can make a difference and helping them understand our role in these systems. I think it just makes a huge difference in their lives. So you could just have them, of course, read the workbook or do the work on their own, but it sounds like community is is key to this process. It's really hard for people to get out of the kind of everyday stuckness <laughs> that so many of us feel. I think it's just really common to feel super disempowered in the face of massive injustice that we see all around us, especially when your everyday life is just full of small tasks as a young mom with small children or as a a busy working parent in the midst of a global pandemic like it just is hard <laughs> to then take any further step and find further meaning and that struggle is very real but from both my own experience and watching dozens of women do this over the last year it does not feel like a valid struggle to so many of us we just beat ourselves up about why we can't figure out how to make a difference. We think it should be simple or that we should be able to figure it out. And it's not simple. (laughs) And it's really difficult, especially when we're inundated with messaging that tells us one million things we should be doing. And to get through that fog of shoulds and shame is hard. And doing it together makes it so much easier. Because when, when one, one woman says, I'm really struggling with this thing, I see like all the heads start bobbing, you know, and everyone's like, oh my God, me too. So to kind of step through that quicksand and get out together seems to be the only way to do it, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it. We are communal creatures and we are meant to be in deep 
relationship with one another. And I don't know any change maker that can stand up and say, I made change by myself. Like that's just not how change works. And so doing it with other and t- others and taking a first step together, which is always the hardest step. The first step's always the hardest. And so doing that together, it's empowering. It makes the impossible seem possible. Let me backtrack just a bit. I want to return later to, to themes of children and family, because apparently you do a lot of work with, with those issues uh, in your groups even. But I'm curious about you as a person. And in particular, I think when it comes to environmental justice, earth care, it isn't only about justice for you. I think there's some deeper dimension of that for you in terms of, of relationship, really, relationship to, to creation. I'm wondering if you could describe your relationship to creation or, or maybe talk about how that developed. Like, how did you become a person who actually loves nature as you do? I grew up very conservative evangelical Christian. And as such, I was not instilled with the sort of value for creation that I have now, unfortunately. So my view of nature and my relationship with creation started out very different than it is today. And I think I I have this memory of the first time when I realized that nature could be spiritual and healing, which was in college. And I was having a really hard time. And I went to college in Los Angeles and I was just struggling and I, I was deeply depressed. And all I knew is that I, I wanted to go to the ocean and I had no idea why I just got in my car and I drove to the ocean and I sat on the sand for hours and just listened to the waves and the seagulls and the wind. And I felt better. And I think that that, that moment, it shaped me in the sense of, and I wouldn't be able to put words to it until years and years later, but understanding that there was something that happened <laughs> between me and the ocean <laughs> that was healing, that changed me, that brought me peace. And I think that started sort of this openness to the idea that maybe our relationship with nature and with God was more complex and deeper than I understood. And it wouldn't be until years later that I began to see nature as more of a teacher, as like, what can we learn from her? What can she teach us about God? What can she teach us about ourselves? What can she teach us about our relationship with others? And I think that came a lot from my husband, actually, who has always had this relationship with nature. And seeing him and hearing him talk about how he experienced God in nature really did open me up to this this idea that the divine can be experienced in these ways that, that we don't have words for, but we can experience. And that's been very freeing for me, but then also spurs on this idea of like, we've lost this connection that offers us deep insight into the divine, into ourselves, into justice, and can show us a way forward simply by how it exists. 
And that whole process and whole journey has taken years and years. But now I find so much hope in it. And it really does push me to work on these issues because having access to creation as it is for myself, for others, for our children, like I, they have to have it because it's this access to God in a way that there's no replacement for. We've been in conversation with Courtney Christensen, founder of Sparks and Matches. As you know, becoming a better friend to the earth involves educating ourselves about environmental issues and discovering ways to make a difference through our actions. If you want to learn more about the work that Sparks and Matches does to help women in particular to become changemakers, go to the website at www.sparksandmatches.com. That's Sparks and Matches, all one word. There, you'll find a number of ways to connect to a broader community of like-minded people who believe that there are always new, creative ways that we can become better earthkeepers through our everyday choices. So if you found anything challenging or inspiring in this episode so far, be sure to access these resources to learn more. And who knows, maybe you'll find inspiration and ideas to mobilize other earthkeepers in your community to work for social and environmental change. I find your answers really interesting on a couple of levels. First of all, you're talking about relationship. You're talking about value of nature as a motivation to act on behalf of nature, to advocate versus like climate change or earth care as a cause, which yeah. many people have, right? But you're talking about something different. It's, it's we have to protect this beautiful thing because it's the source of everything. It's the foundation of, of our existence. You know, it is our window right. into God, as you say. That feels powerful. I think I also am, am struck by the fact that your sort of initial change out of that maybe more narrow view that the evangelical church sometimes teaches people, that your your change was really initiated by God or by nature. And not by a book or a teaching or some compelling argument. Right. It was just nature rescued you. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, too, because I don't remember having the thought that I should go to the ocean. I just knew. And I don't know what that is, except the divine is like yeah. this part of me calling to that part of the divine. Yeah. The divine in me recognizing the divine mm. in the ocean and saying, we need each other. <laughs> That's really beautiful, actually. I, I love that, that dynamic you're describing. You have kids. And I'm wondering, as you watch them grow up, I think, with some very different teaching about creation and their relationship to it, I'm wondering if you could could describe what, what you see happening, <laughs> for better or for worse. Are you feeling confident that they are not ending up in a place where they have to rediscover that, but that they are growing up with nature as God language all the time, as a norm for them. It is. It's really interesting because it's so different than how I grew up and my initial understanding of it. I think one of the really interesting things is that it just makes a lot of sense to them <laughs> where they're like, yeah, duh. Of course we see God here. 
like what else is it? <laughs> like <laughs> so watching that has been honestly just a joy to see. Uh, my kids are 10 and 12 and they actually are super passionate about climate change issues and environmental justice. One of the interesting things actually about being down in Mexico, down here, and having such easy access to the ocean has been to watch them really become passionate and understand how interconnected everything is. Like they're seeing it while we're here. We're 500 yards from the beach and the humpback whale migration is happening. And so there's whales all the time, every day. The kids though will see like plastic on the beach and like freak out that the whales are going to eat the plastic. We got to participate in this program here that protects endangered sea turtles and then mm. releases them at sunset every night, these baby sea turtles. And we went and watched that with the kids and they got to see these sea turtles like swimming out into the ocean. And then now they understand that when they use plastic and it ends up in the ocean, that turtle, <laughs> that mm -hmm. turtle might eat it. And to see the, the plastic wash up on the beach every day is really upsetting to them, honestly. But they have started to see our, the relationships of humans and nature as something that should be sacred, something that should be symbiotic, <laughs> something that should be whole. And yet we are fracturing that relationship with our everyday actions and our purchases and the way we live. And so it's been, become really clear to them. The one downside of this that I've seen is that they have come to the point of despair several times recently. Last week, my 12-year-old was like weeping in bed about it. And part of me was like, is this too much? Like, is this too much for them? And part of me was like, yes, it's too much for them. I've given them too much information or I've explained it too deeply. And maybe I have, and I am willing to take that on and be like, I've given them too much information too young. And at the same time, she like was weeping, woke up the next morning and was like, I've decided we're now vegan. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, are we? Is that <laughs> happening? <laughs> but she comes up with these ideas now herself of like what needs to happen and where we can go and what she can do and what our family can do because she understands how the systems work. Yeah, I hear you. You ask that question. I mean, every parent would ask the question, should I be allowing my child to hurt, <laughs> to right. feel this this kind of pain? So I think your reaction is, is of course, normal. But, but maybe I would question your second question, am I sharing too much? Because my guess would be that the reason she might be so upset, we'd have to ask her, is because she knows the sea turtles. She sees the whales. She walks by the plastic. So how can you help but but both love and feel pain for nature when you see it, when you're right there with it, when you're opening up your soul to connection? Right. I don't think there's any way that you can avoid pain, nor nor should we. Right. Especially if we do acknowledge and see and feel a relationship with nature, right? If you're like, that's not just nature, it's like nature and it's sacred and it's something that I belong to it and it belongs to me. 
And then when it hurts, when it's damaged, when it's, when someone bullies it, when someone hurts it, you feel that pain. Being here has been really powerful for my kids to, to both feel the relationship and be impacted by how humans are treating that relationship in general. Of course, it'll be interesting to see how and whether you continue that dynamic when you return home to Bend. What does that look like there, right? Mm-hmm. That same, the same cultivation of this environmental sensibility. I think fortunately in Bend, there is such good work being done that I'm hoping to, I've already started talking with the kids about, okay, what are we going to get? Like, what do you want to get connected with? And which organizations should we volunteer with? And what do you want to learn about? And nature has always been such a part of our family. But here, I think seeing just a different side of it, being pulled out of your norm and being like this part of nature that I think when they go back, they're going to start seeing that at home as well, or at least I would hope so. Disturb their sense of familiar so they see things in a new way. That's right. Well, I guess I want to ask you, is that is that a principle of raising kids with a, a justice mentality, raising good members of, of creation? Like, what have you found, both in your own family, but perhaps in your work with young moms, what have you found are the challenges and, and some of the interesting directions that you've found to to help people help their families in that direction? For me and my family, we have made it a priority to show our kids all different kinds of normal. It was really important to me that our kids didn't just grow up knowing one kind of normal or thinking that the way we lived in Central Oregon was the only normal or the only right way to live that everyone should aspire to. And so I wanted to disrupt that sense of normalcy uh, by showing them different kinds of normalcy. And obviously, you don't have to move internationally to do that. There are lots of ways to do that. I do think exposing your kids to different understandings of life and different ways of functioning in the world is important because then they get to see more clearly their own place in it, in the world, and how much we have and how we live impacts the way other people live. And the things that we make end up here and the things that we buy end up there. And that's connected to this. So I do think that when we grow up thinking one thing is normal, it's hard to then give that up. And for, for example, my kids, if they grow up thinking that individually wrapped plastic snacks is normal and there is no other way to do that, then taking away individually wrapped snacks is going to be hugely disruptive. Like here there's there's candy, but there's tiny stores. And so it's the produce tent and the like little market. And so they don't have string cheese. They don't have these things. And so that's just simply not an option. And so to have then to go back and be like, why do we have so many individually wrapped snacks? They can start to question both why that's normal and whether or not it should be. And working with young moms too and young parents who are trying to figure out how to make a difference and and pointing out these normal things that have big impacts and maybe shouldn't be normal or at least can't be normal for very long 
because of their impact on the environment, kind of shakes you out of the routine, the jumping through the steps that I go to Costco and I pull that box and that box and that box, and then I go to the next aisle and I pull that box. And so removing yourself from that sense of routine makes you then question why it was your routine to begin with. In many ways, yeah, it does. In many ways, it's not just about the kids. It's like your work is actually disruption. You're yeah. helping people to understand that normal is not universal normal. Yeah, and I, but I think that starts with my kids, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Starts with me. I'm curious about stories because it seems like the most powerful way you can communicate these interrelationships, the impacts of our actions is going to be through stories, right? Of real people that demonstrate to us the impact in a way that's maybe more visceral, more more relatable. I'm curious about stories, how you use story in your work. And then I also want to hear stories of your work. What have you seen happening? I was thinking about this too. And the stories that I have are because the change that I'm making is very everyday. The mm-hmm. stories are very everyday as well. And they're small. And I think they seem insignificant. But what I've found is that when I tell particularly my stories that seem very mundane and insignificant to me, they are not to other people. <laughs> and so I'm learning to tell stories. And it's something that I have to keep learning over and over again. And and really to resist the pressure to have the big wow stories, right? That's right. Yeah. I just don't think this work has a wow. <laughs> the biggest stories that I've loved have been when I've posted like specific things about I replaced this with this. Like like a year ago, I found this company that makes completely plastic-free recycle like toilet paper out of recycled paper. And they ship it to you all like carbon neutral with like plastic free tape and all they're all wrapped individually in this cute paper. And I posted about it and was like, this is a great option. And I have kids and we go through so much toilet paper. And I got text after text after text of people who were like, I just ordered it. And I got so many pictures of people like of their toilets with toilet paper stacked up on the back. And it was so exciting to me, though, to be like, yeah, another toilet. That's so great. Because it's one change that then creates more change. Because, oh, if I could do this with toilet paper, I could probably do this with paper towels. And then once you get into the paper towel conversation, it was like, I use these cloth paper towels instead. And people are like, oh, my gosh, who knew that was a thing? And actually, one of the most fun changes that I've seen has been actually with my parents and my in-laws. My in-laws in particular, I think when I married their son 15 years ago, I was like this California girl that was, I think, a little crunchy granola hippie for them. And I think they thought I was a little cuckoo. Now they have started like my father-in-law. I asked him to bring something over and he came and he was like, and I got organic for you and it's in glass. (laughs) And I was like, yes. (laughs) And it's not because I was ever like, Dennis, I don't want to use plastic. And please, I only eat organic because A, that's not true. And B, I would never say that to him. He was being so nice bringing me this thing. He just 
new because we've talked long enough and I've been around long enough. And my mother-in-law is like, I replaced all my plastic Tupperware with glass because I needed new Tupperware. And it was such a win. And she also knew that I'd be excited for her. And my mom for Christmas bought me this new kind of eco laundry detergent. And she was like, I don't know how it works, but I got some for you and some for me and we'll figure it out. And it gives me so much hope and is so encouraging, especially to see change happening in people who had to change their minds about things in order to care about it. And it gives me a lot of hope to see that happening. And then to see on the flip side, the change happening in children, like my own kids walking down the beach and sticking like bottle caps and microplastics in their pockets as we walk is just a normal thing for them. It's what they do. And my my 12-year-old learned that she had to do a class project about plastics in the ocean. And she learned about microplastics and how they come out in the laundry. And she was like, we should invent something that pulls the microplastics out of your laundry while you're doing it. And I was like, this is a great idea. We should do this. And so we Googled it and it already exists, which is awesome. It's like this little ball that you throw in your washing machine and it collects all the plastic from like plastic fibers from your clothes. But if she had not noticed the problem and then that had the confidence to say, I can fix this problem. We just need to figure it out. I never would have looked. And so her level of awareness at 12 is already teaching me that if I can come up with a solution, maybe it already exists. And if it doesn't, maybe I can make it. And she just, no one has told her she can't yet. And, and I think also, if we don't come up with these solutions, who who is, right? Like, this is her future. It's her planet. And so she's going to come up with solutions. And she's 12. And so her hair, her ideas are harebrained at the moment. And some of them are super awesome. And when I Google them, some amazing person is already working on it. And she gets so excited that her harebrained idea is actually genius. And so I think encouraging all of these little steps in young moms who replace their saran wrap with beeswax wraps and send me pictures of them and people who find recycled toilet paper and replace plastic with glass and buy organic to save water versus non-organic. All of these little things make a difference, especially when they become normalized. And I think that's what posting and sharing small things does. It changes the norm and says saran wrap isn't the norm anymore. It's normal now to come with beeswax wrap over your casserole dish Mm -hmm. and then to wash the dish and take it home instead of bringing one that you throw away. Like these are just normal now. All of those little things, especially in my own family, I think Mm -hmm. give me so much hope. Well, it comes back to community as well, because you need other people to help you learn those things, discover those things, Mm -hmm. and then encourage you when you use those Mm -hmm. things uh, to help you create new norms. I mean, we absolutely need each other to do this kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. People have started sending me new things that they see too, which is also so exciting to me. Like the little toothpaste bites, it's called bite and it comes in a glass jar instead of like a Uh tube of toothpaste. 
when that launched like a year ago, I had three different people send it to me and be like, oh, I got to try these. They are awesome, by the way. But I think just having people notice it, realize it's a big deal and be like, let's do this together. It makes the change that we need to make. I love it that you are hopeful. You face the need, you face injustice regularly. You read a lot, you uh, keep yourself aware. And I'm impressed that rather than let that weigh you down, you do seem to be to be optimistic, uh, not in an unrealistic way, <laughs> right? But, but you believe, I think, that something is possible. I have my ups and downs. <laughs> I have my sure. moments of, you know, sitting with my daughter weeping in bed. Like, I understand that, that moment, too. And there's a very real grief, I think, for the situation in which we find ourselves, especially for my kids. I feel a lot of grief. I don't tend to despair because I do find a lot to be hopeful about most of the time. But mostly it's because I, I find that action is the antidote to despair. And so if I am taking steps to make change, and if other people are making steps to make change, and we are talking about it, and it's becoming the norm, I find hope in that idea. So that even when we seem to take two steps back, you can just like head down and take another step forward and say, okay, so that sucks. But also, my friend Jenny just decided to do all secondhand clothes for her kids because she found a new site. And that's less new polyester in the world. And that's so great. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I just have to take one step at a time and take a moment to grieve when I need to grieve and then get back to the work. We've been talking to Courtney Christensen, founder of Sparks and Matches. If you want to know more about Courtney and to connect with a larger community of everyday earth keepers, please go to the show notes on our podcast website at www.circlewood.online forward slash earthkeepers. And if you want to leave a note or ask a question about this episode or anything, really, shoot me an email at earthkeepers at circlewood.online, or you can leave a quick voice message on the podcast website, and I'll be sure to get back to you. Earthkeepers podcast explores ways in which we can change ourselves, our communities, and our cultures to help us to care for the earth in holistic and regenerative ways. Through curated conversations, we highlight the wisdom of thought leaders and change agents who are making a difference and showing us a way forward. When Earthkeepers stand together, they amplify the impact of their resistance against environmental injustice and multiply their efforts for renewal and restoration. I am Forrest Inslee, your podcast host. Our executive producer is James Amidon. Our producer is Dave Olfers. Forrest Reed is our editor and the creator of our original music. Our research assistant is Rochelle Nordman, and Jessalyn Megerly is our social media director. Thank you, friends, for listening. And please join us next time on the Earthkeepers podcast. <laughs>